I would I would rather go speaking about uh, Vanya Marinkovic. I mean, what a what a week he had, thirty five points. Uh, in, in the crazy game against Fenerbahce and then uh, as we discussed this uh, Valencia game on the weekend he scored uh, 24 in 18 minutes against Valencia and I always thought he had I it see, in I him I see 19 why, why so? I don't know it's just on basketnews.com 24 points in 18 minutes but it's also on the ACB okay um, then flash score is, is or is it was bug. efficiency score 18 I see 19 points, but uh, ah, okay. six it's, of 10 shooting, whatever. A lot of, still still a solid game. Solid week. For him, solid you week. Say, and Fantastic week. I, I just always <laughs> thought he week. had it in him to me. Uh, to me, it always looked like he can be a scoring machine. It's just that maybe he was not with the right coaches for a while. Like, uh, if you remember when he transferred from Valencia to Basconia, uh, it looked like, Dusko Ivanovic is not his type of a coach. Mm. And then there was Nevin Spachia. And now I think they're just playing a much more shooter-friendly offensive system, I would say. Ooh. And when he gets hot, he can be as good as anybody in the league. And 35 points, uh, he ranks in the all-time five of, of highest scoring performances for Basconia, right? Yeah, and I was so surprised to find Matiauskas and Stombergas on the on top. The, on the top. It's, it's a bit random speaking about, you know, Spanish team with this uh, rich Argentinian players culture, like Scola, Nocione, Prigioni. And yeah. then you see Matiauskas 40, Stombergas 39. But they, yeah. I mean, they always, like, even lately, they have a Lithuanian. They have their... players from the Baltics ev uh, every yeah. season right now. Uh, St for Stombergas, I think it, it was that performance when he also broke the uh, free point. The free point is nine of nine or ten of ten something of like nine. that, and then Shane Larkin. I think the most makes three pointers uh, without yeah, a miss. and Shane nine of nine. I Shane think. Larkin uh, went for his record uh, in that Bayern Munich game and uh, missed. And one. Eventually missed, but but ended up like ten from mm, okay twelve or something like mm -hmm. that. And Matsyauskas, well, honestly, I'm not surprised that uh, Matsy Matsy had forty points. In a yearly game, no, no, but yeah, the list is 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 beautiful, and Avanya Marinkovic uh, has his name on it. And do you remember last week uh, when we were discussing Basconia's chances to make the playoffs? You you kind of had some doubts, and I said I, I'm just betting all my money. At the moment, I had like 22 euros on me, so it's not much. But uh, well, the bet is 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 becoming successful. Yeah, uh, but it's still a little bit early. I mean, mm. they have to beat Asphalt at home, which I think will happen. Mm -hmm. And then we have this tricky situation with the last game week. That's a very tricky situation. That I had a question for you. If you're Bartzokas and you you're playing Basconia, and if you win against Basconia, it means that you will face Basconia in the playoffs. And if you no, no, it's, it's vice versa. It, it, if you, you lose, lose to Basconia, you get Basconia in the uh, playoffs, and if you win, you get FS. What What do you do? I don't play Walkups, Lucas, Vizenkov, uh, and Fall. They yeah. load management. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, you, I mean, you do that. The quarterfinal series is the only series where, where it's a series where you can choose an opponent. Mm. Uh, you, you have a home court advantage. You are clearly a better team. And uh, all you need to do in this EuroLeague is to make the final four because in the final four, it's one game. So you don't really need to choose the opponents and yeah. stuff like that. And this is the only series where you 
you know, you face a five, potentially five game series. And if you can uh, have Bosconia instead of FS, if that's the question, that's a smart uh, I choice. mean, it's not like uh, I'm saying to my players, go there and lose, lose on purpose, uh, but, but it's I'm just going to be moves 35 minutes of Michalis Lunds' uh, playing point guard position. Or like there some very strange, you know. That would lineups. be a very weird game, actually. Uh, it's it's quite possible that we can witness that. Although as, uh, ba as bad as FS can look, you know, they have shown us in some games that you know the talent level is still there. Yeah. And you don't want to see that in the playoffs. Although, you know, if they get there, I said a thousand times here. You know, it's really hard for me to see FS uh, competing on a, on that level for 40 minutes in five games or three games, whatever. But if you can avoid that, you know, of course. And because Basconia is a home team. Yeah. And, you know, uh, Olympiakos will have the first two games at home and then only then you go to Buesta, so potentially you can close it in three games or four games. So it's just to me to me it's a no-brainer mm. although uh olympiakos didn't clinch the first seed yet and we're not sure if fs will be in the position yeah. to at least qualify because mm -hmm. they still need to win the istanbul derby and as it seems right now the derby is equally as important to fenerbahce the key game uh, because after losing to basconia fenerbahce also is at risk so um if I had to guess, I would say that FS will not even be in contention uh, on the last day. Oh, so you think they're gonna lose? I against think Fener. they lose to Fenerbahce because oh. right now Fener also is very motivated for that game, and knowing how inconsistent FS is right now, and also Ataman probably realizes that their chances are are not that real. I mean, it doesn't really depend on them, so I think that. Uh, we might see dominant Fenerbahce performance. That's my guess. I'm not so confident about That's Fener because they they lost four of their last I know five that. games. I know that. I'm just saying this Basconia game was close to do or die game for. I'm for just saying the context the of this game wise. to me suggests that it's it's mm. a possibility, and I'm just thinking that do FS players and the coach believe that it's possible when they need so many other results to fall for them. I mean, it's like if Bosconia win everything they have, you cannot compete with them. If Jalgiris wins everything they have, you cannot compete with them. So basically you need to win and also expect something to happen in favor of yours. But I don't really see that. And I, I don't see how it affects their motivation, really. At least not in, in this game, I think. Yeah, maybe in the last true. one, you know, uh, if they have like Valencia had one yeah. percent chance, then yeah. But I think this game is probably the most unpredictable game of the season. Uh, FS showed um, some great defense in in their first game of the double week. Uh, you know, bench players, against Milan, right? bench against Milano, yeah. Uh, yeah. Bench players contri contributing on the defense. Elijah Bryant, Rodrigue Boba, one of the probably most underrated players on defense on the defensive side in your in Euroleague. So uh I wouldn't be so sure about Fenerbahce winning that game. Mm. What I saw from them in the second half, in the collapse of the second half against Basconia was I would say, you know, not typical of Fener. But at the same time, I think their record in the last 12 games is four and eight or five and seven in the last 12 games. So just not 
not typical defensive mistake from from Itudi's team. It's not like uh, Basconia were running some amazing offense. Uh, you know, they were just uh, being a bit lazy. You know what you would expect to see from maybe FS players. I saw that from Fenerbahce players, and I'm not sure why I'm I'm seeing this because they were doing quite good, and then they were. It seemed like they just turned off uh, in the last. 12, uh, yeah, they were in, co in minutes. control like for two and a half quarters. A after the first half, it seemed like uh, Basconia struggles to create open looks, and yeah. it seemed like Fenerbahce is really controlling the game, but everything changed in the third quarter, and it has a lot to do with uh, the defense, as you said, but at the same time, uh, it was frustrating to see Fenerbahce players missing so many open shots and also layups. They had yeah, problems from the paint. They have problems finishing at the rim, and uh, Marco Guduric, who has been one of their most consistent players recently, had an off night basically. So, uh, talk about off nights. Tyler Dorsey had one as well. Exactly. Yeah, and you know what? What, what you said makes a lot of sense. Probably makes more sense than what I'm saying. It's just that I have a feeling it's going to be Fenerbahce's nights and. Okay. And what what do you have against my let's feelings? Let's see. Let's see Rita's yeah. gut. If, if so it's <laughs> I had this question that from 1 to 10, what are the odds of Fenerbahce missing the playoffs? So I see it's it's close to zero probably from Rita's I mean, I'm not going to say zero. I have to be realistic. One it, then? It's a, it's a possibility, <laughs> but ranking from 1 to 10, I would say three. Okay. Okay. Who do they have on the last day? Uh, they have uh, Zvezda away. in, oh, in yeah. Belgrade, and they are, easy. Zvezda are not giving that if, game away. Especially if you lose against FS, you're going to red star with this whole huge pressure, pressure. on yeah. your back, yeah. so it's not going to be easy. And I'm still going to say one win from these two games would clinch the playoffs for them, so... Uh, my in my opinion, it's, it's, mm. it's a free. I think they're going to lose the the, the derby. Like if mm -hmm. I had to guess the winner of, of the game, I think FS. I think FS are going to take that one, but uh, I think FS, uh, Fenerbahce is still making the playoffs. Mm -hmm. So from one to ten, not making the playoffs, probably around some somewhere like three, four. I would say maybe from my view, maybe it's like four. Looking at it from the perspective, how 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 much percentages I give for them to make the playoffs, I still believe that it's it's close because I also believe that they're gonna lose against FS, and then it, it depends on basically on the combination of other results and of course winning a tough road trip in in, in Belgrade. But I still see that there's higher possibility that they will make the playoffs. Although uh, to miss the playoffs, they actually need Partizan to win at least one uh, game away against Monaco or home against Pantnaikos, which is uh, really realistic. Um, well, not not with the way Partizan been playing recently. Uh, they, they lost to Barcelona at home. I mean, they had these four games, Olympiacos, Sanadolo, uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid, and they lost only one against mm -hmm. Barca, where Barca played amazing defense. The, only team of you. Yeah. But the performance against Real Madrid was off the charts. Yeah, but go on with the yeah. what yeah. what Fener needs to do to not to, to miss the playoffs. So basically it's about them of course losing both games. Then Partizan needs to win at least one. And these three remaining teams basically they have to win everything or Jalgris has to match Fenerbahce with their record at the end of the regular season. So basically 
Basconia plays uh, Asvel at home and Olympiagos away. So as we said, it's it's really possible that they will take both two. So FS plays Fenerbahce, and in this case they lose. Uh, I mean, Fenerbahce lose. Uh, it goes down to the second game. And FS, they're playing Monaco at home, uh, which means that it will be probably meaningless game for Monaco uh, because I think that they have uh, disadvantage in both head-to-head against Real Madrid and Barca. They're already one win uh, away from them, so it's it's close to the fact that it, it's going to be a load management game for Monaco as well. And Jargiris plays Maccabi at home and Bayern away. So if Jargiris... That's one of the biggest factors. Jargiris has to win against Maccabi. Yeah, and that's and, a huge and, game. Yeah. And if, if I'm in Maccabi's position, I'm thinking... Uh, what are my best chances to get to the final four? And it's definitely not against Olympiacos, Barcelona, Real Madrid. If I'm Maccabi, I'm, I'm surely targeting Monaco. Uh, of course, the home court advantage is impossible right now, mm-hmm. but still, if you can choose any any opponent from these four teams, uh, it's, Monaco. it's Monaco, obviously. Definitely. So for Maccabi, it's an important game, in my opinion, and... Obviously, when you're on the run, uh, you want to extend the winning streak as long as possible. When everyone's feeling good, there's there's no point of basically uh, giving games away. And I think they will be very focused in the Jalgiris Arena. And for Jalgiris, it's another final. It's another do or, do or die game. So it's probably, um, alongside the Istanbul Derby, the most exciting game of the week. Probably. I haven't seen the, the other ones. Yeah, I mean there are good games, but some of them are not as valuable as, as as this one. There's so much at stake, you know. Yeah, but of course Maccabi is yeah more probably of a home team, and they won 14 games at home of 16, and away their record is five wins, and I think 11. Yeah, but that's the losses. whole season's record. But True. if you look at no, the, their recent were in performances, shape. like two away games against FS and Asvel, basically were perfect. Perfect games for Maccabi. The only loss in the last two months, basically, was in Monaco, and yeah. it was just this fourth quarter uh, collapse. Yeah, and, and they're on an eleven win streak, I believe, uh, counting Euroleague and the uh, domestic Israeli yeah. league. Yeah. So yeah. they're the hottest team right now. But again, I mean, this scenario of Fenerbahce missing the playoffs is not something you know unrealistic and and zero point one. I mean, it's uh, it, possibility. It's, so it's, it's not it's impossible. Intriguing. Yeah, and also. Your bold prediction about Fenerbahce making the final four is now at risk because it's still on because, the table. <laughs> because I mean, even if they qualify for the playoffs, it seems like they're gonna have a series against uh, Barcelona or, or Real Madrid. So yes, I you? was way more confident after the first eleven games <laughs> yeah, of their regular season. So it's surprising that now you're bringing this back. No, but I'm anyway. just I'm, I'm I'm just saying like uh, there were so many ups and downs in this Fenerbahce season. At one point, they're looking like a yeah. Final Four team. At some point, they're looking like a team who's not making the playoffs. Exactly. And then right now, they are looking sort of okay, but you can see uh, how how much they're affected by even a single injury uh, to one player. Like, when they lose Scotty Wilbekin from the rotation, and all of a sudden, they have problems. They lose Deshaun Pierre, and even though Tariq Biberovic kind of stepped up, but they still... They still have problems. So it looks like for Itudis to be successful this season, he just needs to have the full roster. 
because some other teams you can see they cope better when they lose one or two players uh, to injuries but but when something happens in Fenerbahce it looks like they just lose their rhythm what are the timetables for uh, for these guys to come back for Scotty uh, and, uh, and others I do, don't do we know because really they, well. they have been sitting out those guys got injured. For example, Wilbekin was out for two weeks. It was March 23, so he should come back. His comeback should be on the corner. Maybe later this week or the, the following week. And that's crucial. Deshaun Pierre, he should be back. He was out for three weeks on March 12th. So their comeback is on the corner, I think. Uh, to me, it was uh, interesting how, you know, <laughs> their defense collapsed and and like uh, it just it seemed like Vanya Marinkovic got the Stephen Curry treatment uh, when he got drop coverage in the game four mm -hmm. uh, against Boston like this guy had four triples and uh, Tony Ajikiri is defending him behind the three-point line obviously you know he's going to pull up from the from the three-point line it's not like Bosconia's offense there was was you know working perfectly it was just like uh, I don't know Fenner, Fenner treating him, I don't know, like he's been zero from six, not uh, not five from yeah. five from seven or, or whatever. So fans were also treating him like a, some superstar. Uh, every time he got the ball, when he, of course he started draining those trees. Everyone, fans that were just roaring, you know, expecting for some another miracle, and uh, it brought me back to some memories from the summer league I've been to in in Vegas when Zion Williamson did his debut. As soon as he got the ball, everybody was almost standing, you know, uh, waiting for some highlights. And then my memories goes to Lurinas Berutis uh, playing Monaco or, or Valencia at home, and every time he gets the ball in the post. Jargis fans, they're also getting uh, getting crazy as as if he was some Hakim larger one, which I kind of called him after what he did against Monaco. So, so yeah, it was an exciting week for some individuals I mean, that we're not used to that kind of treatment. <clears throat> Basconia just has this uh, "if it rains, it pours" mentality, <laughs> and well, Sh basically, shout out to Fifty Cent. Following this whole season, <laughs> shout uh, out to 50 uh, following cent. this. One of the most random things that we heard on this pod, and you, know, you can't I, predict that. Oh, no, when it rains, it pours. I mean, that's his song. Yeah, I know, but still. <laughs> you know, you reminded me of, of the photo uh, of Rick Carlisle and 50 Cent together, and uh, Ty Tyrese <laughs> Halliburton just tweeting, get Rick or die trying. <laughs> that was a good oh, one. Get but, Rick. <laughs> but anyway, getting back to my point, uh, you kind of, following this whole season, uh, following Basconia this whole season, if you had to guess who could get hot and have a 35-pointer, you would Howard. say Marcus Howard. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it's Vanya Marinkovic. On a night where Marcus Howard couldn't, you know... Yeah, for Marcus Howard, it was not a good game. He he tried... Second half was completely... Tried to get going with some transition trees. The shots were not going in, and obviously Fenerbahce were trying to attack him as much as possible on the defensive side. Uh, you know, I... My favorite player in Basconia, of course, is Darius Thompson. I even have a nickname for him right now. This is for for the way he's been playing is Legendarius Thompson, because <laughs> <Okay>. like <laughs> you just love to see how how he controls the game. You love to see him uh, with the ball in his hands. He is so calm all the time. They're down by eight. They're up by eight. It doesn't really affect his game. Uh, I love his decision making. Uh, he has so much to offer and. Um, I don't know what his contract situation with Basconia, 
but I think uh, in the summertime his agent uh, will be busy. The problem is that he's on a two-year uh, two contract with Bosconia, and usually it's not that easy to get out of Bosconia. I mean, so it's not necessarily a problem. Yeah, it, it, it might be a problem for it's other suitors, yeah, <laughs> but but you know, for the player himself and for the club, it it could be a good situation. I mean, but he's definitely a top top point guard right now. So. If I had this question, which eight seed team? First of all, we're not sure. That, I mean, this playoff race is so wild that all the teams can go as 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 yeah. high as fifth seed and uh, eight seed. I mean, it's it's still very unpredictable. But at first, it looked like it was the race for the eight seed between Basconia, Zagreb, and FS. Now it's way more open race. But still, if we had the eight seed race, and there is Zagreb and Basconia potentially facing Olympiakos, so I believe I'm hearing from from you that you see more potential from Basconia to make any possible surprise uh, in a way that, you know, you can have these scoring nights from Marcus Howard, Vanya Morinkovic, there's that legendary Thompson and some other guys in the crew. I mean, if you look at the talent, yes. But if you, let's say, if, if you look at the last game, Zalgiris uh, Olympiakos, Olympiakos escaped with a win from Kona. So, uh, but still, honestly, they were without I, I, honestly, Lucas. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't predict any upsets here, one way or another. And if I'm Olympiakos, I, I wouldn't even bother choosing what's better for me, Basconia or Zalgiris. It's just what I get. Mm. But um, yeah, I would, I, I do believe that Basconia possibly could have a huge night where everyone's making their shots and 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 you just cannot cope with them and and you might drop a game at home and then it could be a series because obviously when you have this first seed versus the eighth seed in order to have a series you need to have a split in the first two games and and knowing how strong Basconia is at home they wouldn't give any game easily uh, at the Buesa arena but I don't know really yeah, probably Basconia has a bit more potential than Zalgiris because uh, Zalgiris is a, a team with a huge fighting spirit, a team full of players who are sacrificing their bodies for every 50-50 ball and, and stuff like that. But when the playoffs come, everybody does that. It's not going to be Zalgiris' advantage over an Olympiakos, in my opinion. And talent-wise, yeah, Basconia is, is obviously a more talented team. I agree that you know we shouldn't predict any upsets here. But I, I actually think Zalgiris would have, you know, a higher chance of upsetting uh, okay. the first seed than Basconia. I think, uh, you know, the playoff starts, defense intensifies of every team, and Basconia offense, that free-flowing offense, wouldn't have as much chances uh, to score so easily. Like, for example, in this game against Fenerbahce, where they had so many uh, easy baskets. And uh, I love Zalgiris' fighting spirit. I think uh, with their defense, with their fight, uh, doesn't matter how hard they have to work to score in offense, I think their defense could potentially have a bigger impact than Basconia's offense, you know, in, in a series. Uh, but that, but that's me just saying, you know, Zalgiris have 15% chance of upsetting the first seed or even 10 and Basconia, you know, yeah. or, or whatever, 10 and ten versus 15%, or 15 versus 20%. 15 is a lot, actually. Sounds, Sounds like 10%, you know, not a lot of chances. Yeah, but just, just I think maybe, you know, 
or potentially like I'm looking at the eight seeds. I thought about looking at eight seeds from the last year. It was uh, Bayern. It, and, it's sad that we Zenit. don't have Barca. We probably won't have Barca as the first seed because it automatically gives us a game five game series. Five. <laughs> yeah, whether it was Bayern or Zenit. But it was both teams. You know, both teams. Uh, the eighth seeds I'm talking about had a great defense. You know, great coaching, great uh, adjustments. And I think Jalgiris this year is exactly about that, you know, about game planning versus uh, towards defensive uh, versus toward opponents mm -hmm. offense like they did against Monaco. So they could potentially have a game five, I think. But uh, I'm not predicting any upsets there. It's just, you know, comparing Basconi and Jalgiris purely. So basically answering the question, uh, you're saying that Basconia loses 3-0, Jalgiris loses 3-1. Okay, for so like for Olympiakos, Jalgiris could be a bigger challenge. That's your point. Yeah, Sli okay. slightly bigger challenge. Mm. If Jalgiris makes the playoffs, I think that the <coughs> coach of the year conversa conversations should start and end just with Yorgos Bartsokas and Kazis Maximitas then. Bartsokas, for sure, for potentially winning the first seed, they're in this position. If they win one more game, and I think that they're playing something close to Villarban or no they're playing Red Star away okay mm. so it's not done yet done yet but if they win one game they clinch the first seed and the job that Barsakas did in the last few years since he took over the team in 2020 I think it, it was a huge job and even though they were great already last year we didn't see them coming mm. on the top in the regular season we thought that they're still we're lacking of something because our teams just improved their teams a lot and for Olympiacos it might not be enough so they became one of the most attractive teams one of the most complete teams and deserved this first seed but then when you look at our coaches, our teams, and our situations. I mean, I think it should be Kazis uh, Maxvitas because Jalgiris last year, they were dead bottom. Kazis uh, Maxvitas took the team with nine new players. And talent-wise, we can all agree that they are really limited. And they lost their best player. And in that's the, the case. The in, in December, they lost and their best player. And probably many of us ruled them out of this conversation, probably. of this playoff conversation, and they put they lost potentially the MVP candidate uh, for the season, Keenan yeah. Evans. And they're still in, in this mix. They're still fighting for the playoffs and, and they're still in this conversation. So uh, for what, because uh, Maxvitas did, it's, it's something it's something great. He He's a great guy who can, he's like a glue guy. He can unite uh, those teams. And that's what he did. He Rogers. just brings the best out of every player. That's the... Um, that's what magic. what impresses me the most. Like some of these players on the roster before the season, you would have doubts whether they are Euroleague yeah. material, honestly. But all of them had some games where they delivered. Like you take all these role players like Dimsha, Berutis, uh, even Lukashunas, and now in the last game against Valencia. Uh, Arnas Butkaitis is playing I mean, like a guy who could fit on any yeah, team in exactly, the, the exactly. So, so somehow Kazis Maxvitis just brings the best out of every player. Everybody plays their role almost perfectly, you could say. Yes, they have some better nights, some some worse nights. They are not, as I said, a very talented team. Therefore you cannot always count on them to make shots and to create shots because uh, they drop two games against Panathinaikos, for example, uh, yeah. and it, it affects the standings. Uh, but my prediction for Jalgiris is that if they make the playoffs, 
and I'm not really. Yeah, you don't think I'm not really betting on that. But if they do, they're not going to be the eighth seed because to make the playoffs, they need to win both games. And if they win both games, they get advantage over Maccabi, and they get advantage. They already already have an advantage over Fenerbahce, and let's say Basconia doesn't win both of their games, uh, they would be ahead of them as well. So basically, if they make the playoffs with 19 wins, they're probably not going to be the eighth seed. They they they, mm-hmm. they could be higher because Maccabi on the last day they faced Real Madrid at home. Yes, Maccabi at home they can beat anybody, but who knows? Madrid maybe will take this game seriously because they want to be like the higher seed or whatever. And uh, Fenerbahce situation we've already discussed that if they lose the simple derby, even if they beat Zvezda, they make the top eight. But Jalgiris has an advantage over them. So in my opinion, if 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 uh, the Lithuanian team wins both games. They finish higher than eighth, but honestly, I don't think they're going to win both games. Mm. We'll see. And the last question, I had four questions for the playoffs. Um, what was interesting and funny that we hoped that this double round week will deliver more answers. Yeah, you when said questions. it will be more clear. It, it, but it, it, it's, <laughs> it's a bit more clear with Milan, Red Star, Valencia, Virtus officially on, eliminated it was, it from was, this conversation. It was, it was clear, kind of clear, clear before. <laughs> but yeah, still. Uh, but this race from the fifth to eighth, ninth, tenth seed is just it's just getting mm-hmm. ridiculous. And the last question I had, uh, and we have five, uh, four teams that clinched the home court advantage: Olympiacos, Barca, Real Madrid, and Monaco. So, if you're a partisan fan and if you're a partisan, can you just please rank me? There's Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Monaco. Can you make a ranking from the teams that you wish to get uh, okay. in the in the playoffs? These three teams. Yeah. Which ones? So. Olympiacos, Barca, Barca, Madrid, Madrid and Monaco. Yeah. Olymp- Olympiacos is also in the conversation. No. 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 Just Barca, Madrid, and Monaco. I just Monaco, don't right? see them dropping both ah, okay, games so and losing this. I think it's obvious and Monaco no, is, yeah. is number one. And Madrid, number two. Madrid, number two. I wouldn't want to face Charas in a series. I would rather face Real Madrid, even though they're a very talented team. But uh, Jelko Bradovic uh, could do a coaching clinic for uh, Chus Mateo. So, uh, yeah, Madrid, number two, and then Barcelona. Do we all agree on that? It was, so? yeah, definitely. I think so, but I just wanted to hear your remarks about this Barca uh, partisan game. I mean, Barca because we, we were so so much in awe of uh, partisans' offense, yeah. the way they played. They're still a really great team, but the way Barca contained them, they just made it a fight, forced yeah. them to five assist Honestly, game. Yeah. This nicely, fluently, you know, led uh, offense that they had, it, it was just crazy. My free takes from this game would be first of all Barcelona's homework, their defense. It was close to perfection against the number one uh, offensive rating right now. Partizan is still number one, right? Mm, or number one or number they, two. They've been number one I mean, basically all year. If we take year, like so. last 10 games, they, they're probably number one or something. Mm. So, for, so for Barca, that was a huge d- defensive effort. My second take would be how great is Nikola Mirotic. He doesn't even need to have the ball uh, for two and a half quarters to be effective. And at one point, I believe he only had one field goal, but also 16 uh, performance index rating. And then after hitting his first three-pointer, he felt good and, and started scoring. And also, Nicolas Laprovitola approaching the playoffs is sort of getting back to his shape. He had some bad moments during the season, 
like the Copa del Rey, some struggles in the EuroLeague, the loss with the Argentina national team, not making it to the World Cup, but in this partisan game, he delivered really from the very beginning of the game. So these would be my free takes. And that was just a great game of basketball, honestly. Oh, yeah. uh, Partizan was also fighting. We had Dante Exum against his former team, putting up a, a good performance. Of course, the crazy atmosphere in their arena. Jelko Bradovic uh, introducing Sharas uh, to the Partizan fans before the game. I mean, <laughs> it had everything. It was just like a perfect basketball night to me. To me, what's crazy is that Partizan had three turnovers. Yeah. And five oh, assists. Yeah. So Barcelona basically stopped them on the defense without forcing turnovers, without making them assist, but basically staying in front. You know, and the greatest example was Tomasz Saturansky uh, fighting over various screens in, in the same possession. You know, he's just basically, it's called, you know, when you're trying to go over the screen and and you don't get uh, uh, blocked by the opposing big guy, it's, it's like canceling the screen. So in one possession, he canceled three screens in a row, basically just passing so close to the ball handler. It, to me, it was, you know, uh, Barca's switching defense completely closed down every opportunity. I know Partizan was trying to do the same. So it was basically at one one point of the game, it was a matchup who, who are attacking the switch defense better. And uh, Barca came out on top at the end, but it was to me both teams knowing the special place of the of the of the other teams, no easy baskets, closing every opportunity. You know, after timeouts, after timeouts, it's it's funny to me. Uh, Jelko and Sharas, both teams, you know, often making a foul after the timeout to cancel what the other coach uh, drew on the on the um, on the whiteboard during the timeout. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting way to stop the uh, the tactics or the special plays of the of the other coach. So we saw like uh, four times fouls fouls immediately after timeout. So just so many interesting details, and definitely Barca is the least favorable matchup uh, for yeah. uh, Partizan. Uh, even I think more than Olympiacos probably. And it's probably just, be just because of the you know, individual ma individual matchups and the possibility to, to yeah. offer this switch all defense. It's probably the worst matchup for Matthias Lasor because he's having an amazing season. He's one of the most dominant centers this year alongside Motley and probably Tavares. But if you take these two games against Barcelona, they really fall out of uh, of the context. Of the context. <laughs> In both games against Barcelona, he barely even touched the ball. So it seems like uh, Barca knows how to stop him. In, in both games, he scored five points. Yeah. And this recent one, he attempted only three shots. And the first one, only two field goal attempts. Exactly. Wow. Two of his lowest scoring games this season, next to one Maccabi performance as well. And Virtus. But still, yeah. <laughs> Somehow, Shadas knows how to, you know, utilize those mismatches or matchups against centers that are, let's say, well-known rim protectors, uh, defenders, uh, or big-time players. Even when he was coaching in, in, in Jargiris, he found those mismatches in a way that some other uh, coaches didn't even realize they can use those opportunities. So it's kind of Shadas thing. And Sh we've already Sh seen in the EuroLeague uh, Shadas versus Jelko series, and it was a good four-game series, I would say. Jargiris really battled Fenerbahce at the time. So I see you would like to have this 
playoff. Uh, it it would be series. it would it be, be nice. Amazing. It would be nice for a basketball fan, but uh, from Partizan's uh, point of view, I would like to avoid that. Mm. I think oh, I, yeah, I have sure. much bigger chances to to get to the final four facing Monaco or even Real Madrid, Charles or maybe even Olympiacos. Charles has the players, the necessary players, and he is a master of how to defend great systems of basketball. Like I imagine Barcelona struggling way more uh, playing against the freestyle of offense than playing against the Jelko style of offense that mm -hmm. they have. You know, it's a set offense with um, very multiple options, but since they're such a good friends, uh, Charles will make his team know every detail about, mm -hmm. about Partizan. And that's why I think uh, they're so, such a bad matchup for, for Partizan. So, and to me, it's crazy, you know, uh, the, the differences and, and in, in assists and turnovers in this uh -huh. game, five and three and 25 and 14. <laughs> I mean, I'm 20 more assists sure. and 11 more, 11 more turnovers. I'm not sure if I have seen anything like that on the highest level. Can we have uh, Darius Garolis checking this, the bigger difference, the biggest uh -huh. differences between assists and turnovers and still won the game. That yeah. would probably be an interesting By the way, stat. I had this, I, I'm not sure if I have seen this thing yesterday when I saw Vembanyama making a putback after his three-point shot attempt. Hmm. Did you guys ever witness this? For sure you follow NBA basketball more closely and that's probably, it was before the only place that you can get something like that. I mean, maybe, maybe Tracy McGrady did it because he used to, uh, follow his own shot if he feels it's short. He's already uh, sprinting towards the rim for a putback, maybe. But in in Wemby's case, it's just like first of all, it's a seven footer taking a step back three point shot, yeah. <laughs> and 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 secondly, obviously chasing the ball for for a putback dunk. However, um, the game itself. I mean, for Wembanyama, it was not a good game. Monaco really dominated, and Donatas Motiunas actually uh, put up big numbers against Wemby. So it's just about this one putback, mm -hmm. about a one highlight, but it's not like uh, Wembanyama had a good game. Mm -hmm. If you look at the stat sheet, you, you can see the numbers, and it's it's pretty obvious that he struggled. Yeah. Well, watching that highlight, I was like, okay, that's some really nice dribbling moves. Oh, okay, <laughs> that's a step back. Oh, okay, it's getting in. And then it's like, oh, wait, that was not the point. The The dunk was the point of the video. And then I understood why Kevin O'Connor, who was probably seen, you know, much more NBA than, than, mm. than us, wrote, I've never seen something like this. Yeah, it's NBA Just 2K the, material. The potential. I don't think you do that even on NBA you 2K. Don't, you don't do oh that. It's... it's it's probably not possible in the video game even. Not really. <laughs> so following Wembanyama play, it feels like every month or two we have this moment where I, I, I wasn't sure it, it's possible and he's just proving some things that go opposite the the nature. Ima imagine the things we are going to see in the NBA him do, I think. Imagine the load management we're going to see. <laughs> <laughs> Let's imagine the better part. Oh, the, the, new, the new CBA is, uh, you know... Yeah. Yeah. trying to pre uh, prevent load management, even though 65 games is still, I think, not enough. You know, that's still 17 games where you can lo lo mm -hmm. load manage and... Um, I mean, but 65 out of 82 doesn't sound that bad. Yeah. 
it's uh and i think uh you know with the incentive that you have to make all nba to play 65 games it's a huge thing for players because if you make the all nba you can sign much bigger contracts yeah, yeah, like yeah. the gap that makes it increase the contract is so is so huge so uh and another thing is that those incentives are now even bigger because the contracts also if you sign for the, your own team uh where are you playing right now you can have an even bigger contract like the 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 difference What's was the difference, yeah. uh 120% you can sign a 20% bigger contract mm -hmm. with your uh, current team mm -hmm. and now it's going to be 140%. Oh. So it's an even bigger incentive to play 65 games and to resign for your team right that you're playing right mm -hmm. now. So I'm hoping that this will, you know, make the asking for a trade mm. thing less popular thing less popular yeah. um, making you stay with your own team which drafted you or or team that made you grow and uh i think that's that's good for the nba for the teams because i think right now players maybe are starting to have too much power mm. over where they're where they want to play so i mean america once again proves that if you cannot solve the problem with money you can always <laughs> solve it with more money <laughs> That's There's good. always a price for everything. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so I, I see that was the best part for you from this new CBA agreement that is going to be concluded in the following weeks, right? Yeah, and I had two where I think one is bad for EuroLeague, three two-way two -way contracts, contracts instead of two. Yeah, I maybe see this uh, impacting on some way the EuroLeague because maybe some players that could potentially go to the EuroLeague choose Maybe them. not directly, but I think it postpones at least for one or two seasons the opportunity to play in the EuroLeague for, for some of these players that would go to Europe instead of uh, opting in for this uh, two-way opportunity. Because mm. usually these players, they're getting like close to 250 uh, net uh, salary. So we're talking more about the Euro Cup and borderline EuroLeague players. Mm. So not it's you not like EuroLeague players talent. for Bayern Munich. Or Bayern yeah. Munich, Halbe Berlin. Yeah. Mm. But okay. but yeah, I mean, it's it just w another tool that Europe and EuroLeague should be uh, concerned about. Because then we have, I think it just started last year, basically NCAA players are getting paid now. And you saw the figures that LeBron's son, Bronny, potentially could expect. I mean, over $7 million for these, I would say, image contract rights yeah. or, or something. So, uh, of course, kind of. it's, it's just a there's a drastic difference between the normal uh, amount of money that you can expect. And usually we're talking just about a few hundred thousand uh, dollars out there. But still, I mean, it's already from this whole cake that remains for the EuroLeague, you're getting, basically, you're not getting the best players. You're not getting the best borderline NBA players. You're not getting the best young players because now there's no place in EuroLeague for the young players. So you would rather go with this NCAA route uh, or, or think about some other opportunities. And the pool of the players that is available for the EuroLeague is just getting smaller because we have this um, G League uh, uh, team. Then there's Australia with this rule of getting one young player to, to, to Australia sponsored by, uh, by the league. I think there are a lot of different ways where other markets uh, getting more and more players from, from Europe and EuroLeague. So that, that was the, for me, that was the key thing of this new agreement, the third mm. two-way contract. And the other thing I'm skeptical about, I don't know, guys, your opinions, the in-season tournament that is already mm. uh, 
I think starting from next year already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The games are going to count uh, for the regular season. So it's not like a, an aside thing and an in season tourney. But I really doubt that, uh, you know, players are going to care of winning that trophy. I mean, they're just going to play it as a regular season. And, you know, the winner, uh, the winner of um, uh, the players of the winning team gets uh, 500k each, each, yeah. which is for star players, uh, not a lot of money for uh, for those who are on a minimum contract. It's kind of a 20, 20%, 15% of their current contract. So it's it's not, you know, a, 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 as much as, as little as it may seem. But I just don't think that an in-season tourney makes those games more uh, interesting for the players themselves. I mean, who is going to care about saying that I won the in-season tourney when if I don't uh, pass the first round of the playoffs? Yeah. In, Unless in you April. put some significant bonus in your contract for in-season tournament. But other than that, I don't see the... Because I think that you have to motivate those star players, not the, you know, bench warmers uh, with, with some money prizes. Now we will see. I'm, I mean, I'm not so sure about this. Uh, I don't have a strong opinion right now, but... Uh, usually, when NBA does something innovative, it works. Uh, I was <laughs> especially kind of, lately. I was kind of skeptical about the playing tournament at first, but right now it looks perfect. But imagine the playing this year is here in the Euroleague. Yeah, <laughs> I thought about that. Uh, so, you know, I just trust the NBA that they know what they're doing. I just trust the NBA should be the new <laughs> slogan of the hoodie. You know, I just trust <clears throat> the NBA. Not, not love the NBA, not follow the NBA, but I trust. I the just NBA. trust the NBA. I trust them so much. Do Adam you, Silver is like a leader that I follow. Do you guys trust Sergio Scariolo, who just recently said that? Uh, I think that they have Maccabi. They have arguably the best backcourt with Lorenzo Brown, with Bolvin in the competition, and it's difficult to find a better one. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the take. Sergio Scariolo probably knows a thing or two about Lorenzo Brown. <laughs> and being the <laughs> best <laughs> in somewhere. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to disagree if you take just the second part of the season or, or especially the recent months. Who's better? Even in numbers, there's nobody better than them. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, he's right. I agree. Although we'll see what happens in the playoffs, but right now it's it's just clicking, and uh, probably my uh, my worst sort of like prediction, not prediction, or, or just a take yeah. before the season Our was worst was that Wade Baldwin and Lorenzo Brown is not a good fit. Right now it looks like a perfect fit, you know even when you play them in the same lineup or when uh, one is resting, the other is uh, leading the team. Uh, actually, during the March, I think Wade Baldwin has better numbers than Lorenzo Brown. Mm -hmm. Although before that, uh, in the first part of the season, you, you probably thought that Loren it's Lorenzo's team. I mean, yeah, they just they just click together and... and that the the best thing like the the beauty of it is that they make the other players better. You can see how 
a big guy like Roman Sorkin benefits from playing with these two ball handlers. You can see how they create opportunities for, for Jarrell Martin or, or Josh Nebo or anybody else or Bonzi Colson with all these backdoor cuts uh, and alley-oop finishes. So Sergio Scariolo is right. I, I think it's impossible to disagree right now. I made some, you know, stat checking, and I took uh, points plus assists. Uh, so, I know, have the same stat. Best backward, and uh, they are by far number one in my top five list. Uh. Uh, these two combined have fifty-seven point eight points created per game, and it's sixty-nine percent of all Maccabi points. Yeah, and both are number one uh, in the best backwards. I took. Lucas and Walkup, James and uh, Elio Kobo, Mitic and Larkin, and Exum and Punter as my top five backcourts. And I compared all the po uh, points created by these, these backcourts and uh, they are leading the total points created and percentage of teams. So you're, you're having with them, you're having 70% of points created in these two guys. And Lorenzo Brown is number one individually and Wade Baldwin is number three, uh, just behind uh, Vasilya Mitic. And to me, you know, these stats and combining the, the, the eye test. And also... The, it's, it's definitely the best backward this season. If we're taking only this season, to me, it, it's a no-brainer, you know. And especially uh, when Maccabi is, is the fifth seed. So it's already a huge achievement for this club. As far as where we were right and on the, all the Panathinaikos takes... Uh, or Olympiakos takes. Or Olympiakos, we have to say that uh, with Maccabi and Baldwin, we were... 100% wrong and um, they are proving us that they can coexist together and coexist uh, absolutely wonderfully can you repeat one more time what was your top five backcourts this this year uh, Brown and Baldwin number one Lucas and Walkup number two uh -huh. uh, James Okobo three Mitch Larkin four Exum Punter five yeah combining stats and and I and test my feeling the feeling team results defense as well yeah. and uh taking into consideration all these things even though even though Lucas and Walkup does not create as many points uh yeah. but for me they're kind for, of the 40, most 46 they have 46 uh compared to Browns and Baldwin's 58 almost but uh <coughs> their impact on both sides of the court to me one, they're one of the you know ideal backcourts that you can have on both sides of the court mm. one is a creator walkup can create walkup can finish plays uh, you know uh, that are created from others and their de his defensive impact is just insane i mean the stat line he put up uh, this week was was just another proof of that so i put them at number two mm. uh, also because they have a huge impact on, on the defensive side yeah. Did, did you have your top five? Maybe you have a different pair in this list? No, I really didn't think about that. Uh, but I probably would agree with Togis yeah. with everything that he said. There was this, uh, uh, you know, Campazzo, Vildoza, Vildoza, Nedovic, but they didn't play enough games. Yeah. So I was and like, they didn't make the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. when you look at some team achievements, the so sample size is just too small. Let's say they're borderline top five team. And, yeah. and, and Nedovic, Vildoza doesn't make it because uh, there's not much consistency in there. So I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to imagine anybody else, uh, any two players uh, being better than 
the stuff five. I was thinking about Real Madrid maybe, but I couldn't find the. But again, who's the, the who, who's the backcourt? Yeah, like Jalen Musa is is one of the players, yeah. and who's the second? It, it's one? also about having two equally dominating or efficient mm. players. For so a while, for, in some teams, it was uh, different to yes, find those matchups. For a while, you could have a case for Darius Thompson, Marcus yeah. Howard, but then Marcus mm. Howard's n- numbers no have gone yeah. down. And obviously, other teams started scouting him, and and uh, he had some pr- really bad performances, I would say. And Darius Thompson, of course, is is one of the best point guards this season. But if we're talking about a duo, then Darius Thompson and Marcus Howard probably falls out of the conversation. Are we disrespecting Satransk and La Provitola? Uh well, you know, Gudurich and 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 yeah, Kalaitis, wow. uh, or Wilbekin. There are quite a few great backwards in this year league. I mean, backward is 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 the key of a modern basketball mm. team. Like, if if we had these Euroleague podcasts twenty or more years ago, we would be talking about the best front court duo, like it depends. power forward it depends. and center. Um, perhaps I mean it was still a big man's game at the time, or like, at least it was more balanced. Yeah. Yeah, and right now I think it's all about the perimeter players. They're 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 the stars on almost every team. What were your what, what do you think about Mike James' return? He just came back after the I mean the return to, to just... himself because in Konas okay, he yeah. returned physically but he didn't return to playing at his level. Uh and in in Munich, yeah, he delivered. Uh, they they've clinched the home court advantage. What more can you ask for? He needs to be a, a, an aggressive scorer for this team because what we've saw in in Konas is just not Mike James. He was sort of trying to be good for others, like to mm. always pass the ball. Overpassing, yeah, he was, and it didn't look right. But then on the same week. In a different city, we saw the real Mike James. So that's how he has to play in the, in the playoffs for Monaco to make their dreams come true. Yeah, I remember that there was a lot of noise after his return to Konas that oh, he's not himself. He looks bad. He's he, and a lot of stuff. But I mean, it was too early to judge him, especially before this second game in the double round week, because he was returning not just from the suspension. He was he was injured before he got suspended, and basically the last time he played in Euroleague it was more. It was between two and three weeks. So, in any case, suspension or not, uh, it takes time to get back to your game rhythm. So I think it was also influenced by that. Uh, uh, also combining it with this uh, strange mental state of Mike James. So what my team needs to do now when I was suspended and there was some team uh, stuff that was related to that suspension. So I, I wasn't sur- surprised at all when I saw Mike scoring 28. I think that, as I said, uh, we will we can expect more MVP basketball uh, from his perspective uh, until the end of the season. You should never be surprised when Mike James scores 28. That's the thing, like, and and we've talked while he was still suspended that Monaco needs him to win a playoff series. And that's the most important thing. I mean, the remaining two games of the regular season for Monaco are not that important. So you could expect some of the key players sitting out or something like that. I'm not sure how uh, Sasha Bradovich approaches this. But in a series, Mike James could give you something extra to win the series, to be ahead in the series. Mm. 
Like Okobo and Lloyd, they're two great players, but um, if you take Mike James out of the conversation and let's say you match Monaco with Maccabi, mm. well, then basically you're matching Okobo and Lloyd versus Baldwin and Brown. And in this case, you're matching Okobo, Lloyd, and Mike James with Wade Baldwin and Brown. So it, it, it it's a different picture, you know. I just hope to see him continue like he did against Bayern Munich. Uh, in Konas, it seemed like uh, he met all these people for the first time. He played together with, with all these guys for the first time. He's he, It looked like he's I a newcomer. I wouldn't say so. I think it was vice versa. I mean, because if he's a new guy, he's alpha male, you know, and he's just going there bowling and scoring in big numbers. Uh, he just I mean, knew I, these guys too much. There was there was something between them, and that what make Mike James different and not himself. I mean, uh, what I'm saying is like if you don't take labels, if you don't know who Mike James is in basketball context in that game, he looked like a newcomer who is kind of a trying to adjust. He's kind of shy. He doesn't really want to. Uh, look selfish. He doesn't want to take fancy shots. Take all the spotlight. Yeah, and, for and me, it, it was more about him being in coma for a couple of weeks, having some know. memory problems, then coming back on the court, and you know what, what, what to, to to remember what the player he it was. Before. It was just not the natural yeah, yeah. 05. It was somebody else in that game. But then in Germany, yeah, finally, and like that was you know a great comparison that you know Mike James came to the you know park to play some basketball and he was just not you know what we are used to seeing from him on Euroleague courts you know he was instead of attacking on 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 in iso situations or just taking these tough shots he was playing the defense 120% yeah. you know which he is always able to do but maybe when he's as aggressive on the offensive side, he has to preserve some energy on the other side. And, yeah. and instead, was it was the opposite. Sometimes, although he played some great defense against Ignaz Brezdekis. Uh, but I, as I said to Donatas uh, a couple of days ago, you don't sign Mike James to, 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 to play that defense and not be aggressive on the offensive side. You sign him to make plays on the offensive side so you know other four guys can help him on the defense later. And uh, just the type of shots he took against Bayern is the best example, you know, how he came back to his his, his self, you know, in the, in that game. Because also, you you we should have uh, we should uh, say shout out to Jalgiris for that defensive plan uh, against Monaco and against Mike James. But uh, it's still if Mike James really wants to take over the games, he can do it at any time. And in Munich, he was six from nine shooting free. So that's his best uh, three-point shooting performance by far this season. He's like 28% from three this year. It, he's under 30 right now. It's 29.7%. So under 30. And he, before this game, his best uh, shooting night was uh, against Real Madrid, yeah. four from seven. Seven years ago. Oh, I no, mean, no, I mean, this season. I, I'm just watching his records, all-time records, and actually he made six threes seven years ago playing for Basconi against Real Madrid. Yeah, and this season against Real Madrid, he was four for seven. So that was his best performance, and it was that game with uh, a crazy shot over Eddie Tavares. Oh, okay. <laughs> and now he goes six from nine. 
and that's very important because uh, Monaco's biggest struggle this season is three-point shooting. That's mm. one of the biggest reasons why they lost in Konas. The difference in three-point shooting the two teams had on the night. They are last in three-point ratio and they're, la and they're uh, second to last in three-point percentage. So they're taking the least amount of threes with the lowest percentage in the league and they took 13 three-pointers against Zalgiris. 13. I don't remember last time I saw as little number uh, in, in in the modern basketball era where everybody's shooting 30 to 40 threes per game. 13 only. So you said Monaco signed signed Mike James to score, right? <coughs> because because they usually to score uh, less creates, interested less put interested. numbers on the board. Yeah. To put numbers on the board. Because usually Americans are disinterested in playing off ball and they have oh this different God. playing style. We're gonna, style. Yeah. We're gonna yeah. discuss this terrible take. But yeah, Zeko, of course, Zeko should not oh. have said it something like this. Why? <laughs> Why? It's a terrible take. And we have to address it because before, like usually, we were hearing only mm, disinterested American players uh, having their reactions about the, this this take. So we will put this objective. Uh, take on what we think about we as Europeans, what we think about Potseko saying such things about uh, American players. First of uh, all, why is he saying this? Second of all, uh, first, you okay. can't generalize that. The second one is just pure facts. The first one was, I think that he was interviewed yeah, he was interviewed before Milan's and FS game so probably he was asked to compare Shabazz Napier who was just over, no, he was just being awesome lately and Vasily Misic. So probably that's why the, this topic was brought on, on the table. To me the worst part of it is that he says it like all American players are the same. Like, exactly. who can say that uh, Darius Thompson... Uh, who can say that Thomas Walkup is, is and disinterested Darius in playing Thompson, off ball? Thomas Walkup, uh, Lorenzo Brown, Mike James, Shane Larkin, are all them mm. the same? They play differently. Don't, like, put, don't put all the players in one shelf. You exactly, know? like mm -hmm. Shane Larkin plays a lot off ball. And actually it's, it's the coach's job to put players in their best positions. Who's the better ball handler, who's a better off ball player, who's a combo guard, who's a true point guard. I mean, it's, it's the coach's job to, to do all the, all these tasks. And if the European point guards are so much better than, than the American point guards, why are all, well, not all, but so many European nations naturalizing American point guards. And who won the Eurobasket? An American point guard. Oh, wait. So now you're saying he's an American point guard. <laughs> well, he is. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding he I'm has kidding. a Spanish passport. <laughs> so, like, I, I don't get it. Why Why Potseco says something like that? He's a, a man with a lot of experience in mm. basketball. He was a great player himself. Now he's a coach of Italian national team. And, and when you say something like this, it just looks like the man has been living under a rock and hasn't been watching uh, what's happening in the EuroLeague for the last 10 or 20 years. I mean, I don't get it, honestly. We, have, we had and we have so many great American players, point guards, yeah. shooting guards, whatever. For instance, he said those things that big EuroLeague teams won EuroLeague with European greats such as Papalukas, Demantitis, Panulis, and Chacho. But at the same time, when Papalukas left, 
uh, J.R. Holden was, you know, guiding this Sky team to the championship. Before Chacha wanted to Real Madrid, there was Tyrese Rice and Maccabi Tel Aviv. I mean, all of his statements uh, can be easily, uh, you know, uh, how to say... Uh, discredited. Discredited, yeah. With I mean... Just easy facts. It, not just it, by emotions or, or trying to find this diversity or whatever. Like, no one's, no one's uh, questioning the greatness of Chacho, Lucas... Yeah, exactly. Or Diamantidis. Or, or, or Diamantidis. But it's just to think, you don't need to separate y- European players from American players. Mm. You just have to agree on that there are great players mm. in the EuroLeague. And when you're talking about the greatest point guards or whatever, you can have Americans and Europeans in the same conversation, believe it or not. You don't need to say that Americans play differently. As far as I know, the uh, United States of America has the most number of players in the EuroLeague, more than any European nation. So the American players it's are bringing the quality up of, of this league. It really depends on your role. And, you know, Diamantidis uh, was great at those things off the ball. And, and he was doing that because he was so great. And you cannot really generalize that, oh, Diamantidis was great, then all the other European players are great off the ball as well. You know, like if you put Chacho Rodriguez as an off ball player, would that make any sense? Like he's not mm-hmm. an off ball player. So it's really, it really depends on your role, on your, on, on, exactly. the, on the coach of the team. Um, I mean, he was comparing Mitic and Napier. I, I don't think Mitic is great off the ball, to I'm be honest sure, yeah. with you. I mean, he's, he's the guy that people are telling, you know, he wants the ball every time to play the pick and roll. He wants to play every pick and roll that there is on the court. You know, he wants the ball every every time on, on any team. And in the meantime, Shane Larkin is doing all the off-ball movement. So... Yeah, look at you know we, we love we examples. love Pozzeco. we love his uh, yeah. you know his coaching in it in the Italian league but this was just I think or either translated bad or he was just mm-hmm. you know he was completely <coughs> wrong with with his take here. Yeah, and it, it's it's I mean speaking of those examples, I mean look at Luka Doncic, you know, performing at the highest level. You cannot say that he's very interested in any off-ball Although situations. Although that one game in Charlotte. He was angry and he started shooting freeze off of staggers, <laughs> which I've never seen before. Maybe when he was well, he's 16 frustrated. years old in he's Real Madrid. Right now. He, he was actually, I think he was close to shooting those staggers in 2017 when we were watching this BN yeah, retro it, episode. It, it was there was th- way more ball movement. It was still and Goran's team and, and he was 17? 18. 18, 18 already. already. Yeah. Fresh, fresh uh, 18. Uh, I wanted to add something. Okay, yeah. I mean, although we're saying that, yeah, it was a really bad take by Pacheco, but it's it's okay to have this track record of one bad take of 10 good takes as we can also have at on this, this there, there were so many horrible takes yeah. at this table yeah. during yeah. the, how many, three years we've been doing this Two, show? A couple of Two years. Two years, right? Yeah. And since, I hope since, that our since track Ogi, since Ogis joined, he basically improved our yeah. uh, bad take, good yeah. take ratio <laughs> yeah. to the good side. But when there were just two of us... Guys, I really need Olympiacos to win the last two games because I said there is going to be a team with 25 wins and they have 23. I really need them okay. to win. Even if they don't, like you're going to be one win away from, yeah, from but your... It doesn't count. It doesn't count. count. Yeah, yeah <laughs> but you're sort of in the right direction. 
And, you know, but saying with Wade Baldwin and Lorenzo Brown is a bad fit at the moment looks wow. like going completely off opposite. the course, like somewhere <laughs> you need to go left and you go, we are, we are crashing you go into right the, into the, yeah, you, you crash wall. into a, a rock or something. It's, so, it's two games left and, uh, we had to re revise, revisit our predictions that we had. That's true. Yeah, I had five. so many bad predictions. I didn't even want to start. I think with. I had partisan over 17 wins as well. Uh, you had partisan in playoffs. I right? for sure had partisan in the playoffs. I but had I, I had Jalgiris as sixteenth team on my power ranking. I but said that Basconia looks like the least talented Basconia that we we've witnessed. Although that's true, but still they somehow found those this chemistry and but those they shining players like Darius Thompson okay. and stuff. The thing with Jalgiris is that it made a lot of sense before the season yeah, to to put them somewhere lower than than they are right now. Yeah, because, because they I just mean, go against logical thinking, probably. Yeah, I mean, let's be real. There, there will be overperforming teams and underperforming teams every yeah, season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when you try to rank teams before the season, well, you're just using your common sense and and uh, you know all these players and, and you look at the rosters and who could say before the season that it's Milan and FS, the two teams that are not gonna make it mm. to the playoffs. I mean, FS still has a chance, but it looks like, yeah. uh, and, and we were sort of locking those teams in the final four. Yeah. I'm not saying it's exactly. just, just the quarterfinals. We, we, all three of us saw Milan and FS in the final four. Yeah, I saw Milan winning the regular season, so, but thanks for making me feel uh, better. It, I mean, it's not your fault that yeah. players got injured. How you many couldn't couldn't see that? How happening. many coaches are fired this year? How two many coaches? Panikos and Red Star, I think. But only only Ritis had over four point five teams firing coaches. Okay, mm. you are the only one giving parties on eighteen wins. Yes. At least, yes, at least one good team. coaches with the most technical. Team. We had Sharas with uh, Ritis. And you had Trinkieri, and I think because he's Maxquitis is leading this, leading this yeah. easily. Top scorer, Ritis had Mike James, you had Scotty Wilbekin. <laughs> <laughs> I had Vasilya Mitic. And well, I went nobody's with, uh, getting a point here, I think. I went with a safe option. I mean, and uh, 25 just, wins a team. Yeah, uh, I, was, I was the only one to say mm. yes, 25. Okay. Mm. We were pretty bad here. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike James is just 0.7 points behind Vazenkov. Oh, so, yeah. close. It's it's not that bad. Yeah, we were not expecting this from Vazenkov. No. This level of basketball. It's okay. We won't put this part on the podcast. I mean, we will cut oh, it out. Oh, we finished so. already, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm just cool. kidding. For the last for the last part, uh, unfortunately, this week we we didn't have any sponsor. Okay, Gianmarco Paseco was a sponsor of this social media segment on, mm. on our podcast. Uh, it was brought by uh, James Nunley, Tyrese Rice, Mike James uh, as well. But since uh, we didn't have such a big uh, social media activity because those players were playing, I mean, it was a double round week, I thought about bringing up some other segment that we were thinking of, which I would call uh, our bonus book club. And I was actually surprised that there's a th literally a thing like Ekpe Udo book club. You must follow Ekpe Udo, Udo on, on Twitter. He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, and of course, he was an amazing player. So I will just, I'll, I'll just read one story, one random story, and you can react. You cannot react. You can just keep silent. But I just wanted, you know, to... Is he putting this on Twitter? 
no, no, no. He, he just has his separate business. I mean, this Ekpe oh, Yudok uh, okay. book club. I, it, it's a different one. It's not related. So just I just gave a shout out to Ekpe Yudok. Uh, and, you know, since we started the social media stuff, book club, we, we, ha we you know, it's a kind, kind of finding a balance between social media, the harm that it makes. So we still have to be, go old school with this book club. So anyway, I'm, I'm reading a story from... Nick Nurse's book, Rapture, 15 teams, four countries, one NBA championship, and how to find a way to win damn near anywhere. And uh, I love this part. I've, I've read this book. I love this part about Dennis Rodman, Rodman who joined Brighton Beers uh, for a couple of British basketball league games in 2006. And Nick Nurse, the NBA champion, was coaching Brighton Beers. So the context was that, yeah, Nick Nurse was in his last season with Brighton Beers in 26. Dennis Rodman was on a London-based reality show, Celebrity Big Brother. So basically, accidentally, uh, they found a deal to play a couple of games for 25K uh, each game. So I will read a short segment from that book. The first game that Rodman played for us uh, at the... 1,500-seat arena, which was attacked, attached to a community center and what was called a multi-purpose fun pool, a splash pool with water slides and so forth. So it wasn't exactly the United Center in Chicago, but tickets sold out in a matter of hours. The game was supposed to start at 7.30. At about 7.10, Dennis still had not showed up. We got a call that he was late leaving London, but should be at the arena soon. We pushed the game back to 8. He got there at about 7.50. It took about 8 security guards to get him out of his car and push him through the crowds gathered on the street. And he came into the locker room where every, everybody was sitting in their uniforms waiting for him. The first thing he said was, hey, I always shower before the game. And he dropped all his shit, his bag and whatever he was carrying, and walked into the shower room. When he came out, came out and got his uniform on, we had a quick little meeting just to let him know what we, are, we were running. A few minutes into the game, I put him in. I was still running the triangle, which of course he knew from Chicago, and one of many options out of is called the blind pig. You don't call the play like everything else in the triangle. It's improvised. So the first offensive possession, Dennis flashed into the post. A guard passed him the ball, and he immediately threw a no-look bounce pass to a cutting teammate for the basket. It was a bl blind pig, executed perfectly and instinctively like he just made the same pass the day before with MJ on receiving end. He ran down to the defensive end, took a charge, and the building went absolutely crazy. He stretched out the floor, and his new teammates, whom he'd met 15 minutes ago, pulled him uh, off the floor and gave him high fives. We won the game by a few points, and he scored a handful of points and grabbed maybe eight rebounds. So shout out to Brighton Beers, Nick Nurse, and Dennis Rodman. That's the most, you know, Dennis Rodman story that you can get. <laughs> I mean, postponing games because one player is late. He wants to get a shower. <laughs> But the pregame shower, uh, I kind of respect that. Yeah. I kind of respect yeah. that. I mean, <laughs> I would never go oh. uh, to, to, to play without having a shower. And we all had those high school stories. Some guys not going, not having a shower, not just morning shower, but like just for a few days. After the game. After the game. Uh, I, I just like feeling clean before I start playing, mm. you know? Maybe Dennis Rodman needs the shower for other reasons. <laughs> I, I I heard that a cold shower might help coping with headaches and 
hangovers, but it's I don't good know. for your body. <laughs> you know, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's Dennis Rodman. What can we say? Okay, guys. So Blind Pig was actually ran already. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay. Yeah. That was a cool, cool uh, piece of the book that you read here. Yeah, I'll try to find a few more random things for the future pods. That's all for this episode. Thank you all for being there. Thank you all for listening to us. If you want to help us grow, just there's an easy way of pressing the like button, subscribing our channel, and also joining Basket News Plus community on basketnews.com slash plus. There are some great offers over there, so uh, don't be shy. Just join us to be even more involved in all the content we do. See you next time.